on this episode of Shadow Initiative Paranormal Talk, a triple dose of news of the weird where Rick and I talk about the ghost of Eddie Van Halen visiting music legend Sammy Hagar to write a song. A three-year-old in Mexico returns from the dead, and we'll find out why medieval clergy were crawling with worms. Also on the program, the Dover Demon bites into this week's Creature of the Week. Rick begins his journey with the Trailing Peter Underwood series and will provoke the mind with this week's controversial topic, Paranormal Shows Are Fake. Yes, we reveal the truth behind Paranormal Reality TV today on Shadow Initiative Paranormal Talk. Welcome to our community of shadows to another Shadow Initiative Paranormal TV and Talk. We are your hosts, ghost hunters and authors, myself, Rick Hale, and Stephen Lancaster. Good afternoon, or rather, good morning, Steve, or maybe is it more afternoon for you? No, not yet. Okay, cool. Yeah, so hey, good morning, Stephen. How are you? I am fantastic, man. I'm on cloud nine. I'm happy to be here doing the show with you. You look like it. I just got my Star Wars machine. Yes, yes, super stoked. I've got new guitars on the way this week. Man, I'm I'm preparing. I've got a eight-day vacation starting on Wednesday, man. And it's gonna be oh, rocking. Beautiful. It's gonna be rocking. Yeah. So you're gonna have plenty to do. You got plenty to keep yourself busy and you know, playing with yourself. Exactly. In more ways than one, ladies. And I'm I may even post some videos. Oh, but God, you know, Rick. We've got yes. so much stuff to cover, and then we've like added stuff at the last minute. This show is so it, it's it's like Rick says, it's like trying to shove a watermelon in a squirrel's butthole. I have never actually said that, but yes, it is jam packed. No, 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 no. See, those are the kind of things that you get you that you people in the south say. We don't say that up here in the north. You people, you people, you people. <laughs> Uh, it's going to be like that today, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, it is not. However, like I said, I've never said that, but I do want to start the show off with this. So I was recently reading something online, and this comes from um, some very reliable news sources. And um, ever since they put the the James Webb telescope up in the uh, up in space, Stephen, they've been really focusing on uh, Proxima Centauri which is only a mere four light years away from us. And I, I say a mere, but really at our present level of technology, it would take probably about 120,000 years to get there. 
but it's able to see, it has seen some interesting things. So the, the tech nerds over there at the, um, at the James Webb, they believe that they may have captured what looks like artificial light coming from the planet. And they've also been receiving some strange signals that would appear that maybe there is a technologically advanced civilization there, probably at our own level, maybe as advanced. We don't know yet. But uh, this kind of really excited me being the alien space nerd that I am. How about you, Stephen? What do you think of this? I'm excited, too. And it, it was kind of interesting because shortly after I had found something similar, you sent me a message about what you just said. Did you also see that they now don't quote me on the number? It's like 100 million or 100 billion light years. You know, I, I'm not really, you know, light years aren't my jam. But anyway. Mm -hmm. Um, they have found a planet that is almost entirely ocean. Yeah, I saw that too. Just, I think it was just yesterday. And you know what that means? Life. Uh, yes, life. life. Well, I mean, if if there are the other ingredients there to uh, produce life, but um, yeah, water is the main ingredient in creating life. Yes, life as we know it, anyway. Right, right. So it's it's really interesting to see this. That I mean, it, we we may have found proof that life has evolved in other worlds, and I think that'd be amazing. Now, whether or not this is you know a bad idea because they could come down here and just wipe us out and take over our planet, <laughs> or they could be friendly and be like, hey, you know, why don't you come and join our galactic federation? Who knows, man? Yeah, but I mean, who cool. knows? Who knows? So, Rick, we have got a ton of shit to go over. To, and it's all awesome. It's just like oh, yeah. just just when I think like, hey, man, last episode was the best episode we've ever done. Then comes an episode like this where at the end I'll be like, hey, man, that last episode was like the best we've ever done. Right. Right. But uh, yeah, you know, we're, so we are continuing our um, our streak of controversial subjects on this show. We have discussed suicide in the paranormal. Um, we have, what, what was the one that we discussed last week? Uh, I, I'm sure it was making fun of Zach Baggins was in there somewhere. Oh yeah, somewhere in there, yeah. But this week, uh, Stephen, you've come up with a even more so controversial subject or topic for us to discuss. And um, I know that people are like, oh my God, they're going to be talking about paranormal television again uh what can i say we like beating a we, we do like beating a dead horse around here and as i've said before we do crave the rolled up newspaper from people who listen to the show but steven the thing the topic that you want to talk about this week is really interesting because it would appear that paranormal tv shows are knowingly deceiving people Absolutely. They're knowingly deceiving people. And, and just to clarify something, um, and I'm sure you agree, we don't bring this stuff up to piss people off. Oh, That's, and also. Yeah. And, no, and also that, too. We're not jealous. We just want to bring I just want to put that in there. Add that as well. We're not jealous. So please 
don't tell us that. So go ahead, Steve. Yeah, it, it's it's we're we're trying to it, you know something that it's just a, a a tick with me, man. It bothers me when I see people being stupid, and it's not because they're stupid. It's just because they'll believe any goddamn thing they see. You know, right. the tr- the truth is literally out there for these paranormal shows, but people ch- they just want to ignore it. You know, and I've put together the list. And these are things that most people don't think about. Okay. And and the part that bothers me about this obsession and this loyalty to the paranormal shows is these are the same people that are investigators. Mm -hmm. So if you can't tell that these shows are fraudulent, you really shouldn't be investigating. And that's kind of how I've started this, that, you, you know, you claim to be observant, you claim you can investigate, you claim to know the difference between a real ghost and a fake one, yet you can't figure out that paranormal TV shows are fake. To me, you're not qualified to even invest in paranormal. So if you believe, and, and you can quote me, if you believe that the TV shows are real, you are the last person that should be investigating because you're emulating fake. So we're going to start with this list. We're going to count down from 10, the top 10 reasons of why the paranormal is the television equivalent of making a novelty item. Yes. You know, and it's, and it's like I always say, and, and actually I, I got the quote from a, a, my life with a thrill kill cult song that reality is the only word in the English language that should always be used in quotes. And this definitely pertains to paranormal reality tv use it in quotes folks because it's not all real yep so what we'll do is we'll start i'll read one off we'll get hale's opinion and we'll move Mm -hmm. on to the next number 10 to avoid legal pitfalls and false advertising deep within the many many disclaimers of paranormal reality shows producers cover their asses with this little disclaimer All of the contents of this program have been scripted or prearranged by the production company or, and this is my favorite, the rights granted herein shall also include the right to edit, delete, dub, and fictionalize the footage and materials. What do you think about that, Rick? Um, I think that that is an admittance right there that these shows are not to be believed. I agree. I mean, we know that they're not to be believed. You know, we're preaching to the choir here. Okay, number nine, their own fucking producers admit it. Correct. (laughs) The proof is out there. Over the years, we've had confirmation of staged moments. Producers from shows have told the truth or been caught staging scenes. Great examples of this are these live episodes that the ghost hunting shows do, where it seems like every time they do one, somebody fucks up. Somebody Mm -hmm. fucks up and they get caught faking something, you know, like the infamous collar tug with Grant and, and, you know, Jason. I I remember I remember watching that episode. I was watching it with my wife and I even when I was watching this, I said to her, I'm like, that is the phoniest shit I have ever seen or heard in my entire life. And she's like, well, how do you say that? I'm like, first off, the voice you don't belong here. Yeah. It sounds like it's coming from a speaker. Yes. It sounded very mechanical. Yes. There was nothing organic about that voice. Two, he was walking around that whole time 
with his hands in his pocket. Yes. Yes. And he and and Grant, I think even Grant and later on admitted that there was a string mm-hmm. that was running from the collar down the sleeve into his hand with like I think it was a trigger or whatever. And all he had to do was pull that trigger and it caused yeah. the uh, the collar to go back the way that it did. It was so obviously phony and so obviously staged. Well, there there were uh, there was an excellent video that used to be on YouTube, and I think copyright got them. Um, but they had zoomed in on that collar when Jason's back there examining his collar, and his mm-hmm. finger actually catches the string. Yes, and I causes and with that voice you're talking about, um, there was a you know they were all split up at, at this property. There was a guy coming down from the house was who's like Pitch Island, wasn't it? I think so. And he's like, "Did yeah. y'all hear that voice?" Now, this was a voice that only they were supposed to hear where they were at, which means that that voice was pumped out through multiple speakers, like you suggested. Yeah. 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 And, and, and I think that there was another one, the one where they were at the Stanley. Now, let's get something straight here with when it comes to this. Peapatch Island and the Stanley Hotel have both been extensively um, investigated over the years. And they are considered by many to be haunted hotspots where real paranormal shit happens. Okay. So, but the one where they were at the Stanley, they were down in the basement and I've been in this basement area and it's, it's, it's very small, very cramped, very creepy feeling. You hear a voice of a, of a girl or a woman saying something later on come to find out that that was another stage thing, but not by probably not by the production crew or the people on the show, but it was actually staged by somebody who works mm-hmm. at the uh, hotel. So yeah, it does happen, but at least they were honest about that later on. And they were like, yeah, this was done by somebody who works for the hotel. At least they were honest about that. Yeah. Well, with that being said, number eight, and, th- and this is where your investigative mind needs. Don't don't accept things for face value. If a ghost hunter on a TV show says something, follow up with it. Follow right. up with it. Do your research. If they were really documenting ghosts, where is the actual proof? Where is the worldwide scientific recognition? Science is real. Paranormal TV is not. To date. And it almost goes without saying no one has found conclusive evidence of the existence of the paranormal. A prime example in reference to television is Josh Gates from Destination Truth, I think was the show he was on when this Mm -hmm. happened, um, who at one point claimed to have definitive proof of the Yeti. Proof he claimed was being researched and examined by scientists at the Smithsonian. This is said in the episode. But nobody follows up on this. However, the Smithsonian never received any evidence to examine from the reality TV show and said their only involvement with Mr. Gates was the fact that he said that they were going to review it. Other than that, they know nothing about it. See, now I was actually taken in by that one. I really did believe that he uh, he sent that that in because I always kind of saw Josh as being a more of a stand-up guy than other paranormal TV shows. So, you know, I freely admit that I did. Um, I was taken in by that, but it's like, I don't like when people use the word proof Yeah, because where is it at, at best, this is spontaneous. Uh, as long as ghosts and hauntings go, it's spontaneous phenomena. 
And it's so far, it's nothing on nothing on these TV shows can be used as proof, in my opinion. Yeah, oh, I agree. Okay, so number seven, non-disclosure agreements. This is I one have, of my favorites. Yes, I, might add. I have signed many of these. And before I continue on with this list, let it be known that I have been on these TV shows. So everything that I'm saying here is absolutely fucking true. Okay. Yes. Non-disclosure agreements. Every person appearing on reality television has to sign them. To put it simply, the contract states you cannot divulge any information about the production of the show without legal ramifications. In other words, while you are still employed to be on the show, you cannot tell people it's fake without being sued. Typically, non-disclosure agreements expire one to two years following your departure from the show, which will lead us to number six. So yeah, let's 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 unpack that one a little mm. bit. I, you know, unlike you, I've never been on television, so it's like I've never had to sign a non-disclosure agreement. But when you told me about this, how they have to sign these non-disclosure agreements, that that got me thinking that it's like you can't talk about it being fake because it is fake. And they don't want you going to the public. They don't want you going to the media and saying, hey, look, I had to sign this because this show and what they asked me to do was absolutely full of shit. Mm -hmm. that, is, that, that is my takeaway from anything, because anytime somebody has to sign a non-disclosure agreement, that means there's serious legal ramifications. And I don't know if I could keep my big mouth shut, especially if there's something going on that I find questionable or my own integrity has to be um somehow compromised um shit man the the hale family would probably be destitute and penniless because <laughs> i couldn't keep my big old fat trap shut and i mean and then that's that's my takeaway from any time somebody has to sign a non-disclosure agreement but leading up to number six this is this is definitely one of my favorite parts of this topic so yes, number six, bitter former reality TV stars fired from the show, and then they start their truth campaign. So once they're out of that contract, that's right, former paranormal investigators from Ghost Hunters, Ghost Hunters International, Ghost Adventures, and many others have come clean about the fraud long after their contract expired. And I know this for a fact. I'm not going to throw out names because I respect these people, and, and some of them are actually really good friends of mine. Um, mm -hmm. one, for instance, uh, she was on ghost hunters international and she flat out told me, she said she knew there was shit going on. She said the problem she had is they filmed so much in blackout where the right. only people that had night vision was the camera crew. So she said on many cases, she couldn't even see a foot in front of her face. So if somebody touched her or if she heard something, she honestly didn't know if it was a ghost or if it was a producer, one of the crew, because you, you, you can't see nothing. You know, yeah. and I thought that was interesting. And from my own personal experience, they will take what you say and copy paste and cut it up to make it into a whole brand new sentence that you never even said. Yeah, exactly. You know, you, you talk about that one. There's there is a guy from one of these shows that is good for you know talking about how phony and fake all this stuff is and these are people who were um paranormal investigators long before they got lucky i guess you could say to be on tv and um you know they came away from their experience 
completely changed and questioning whether or not they wanted to stick in this field mm -hmm. because is it all fake? Is it all phony? Um, but the thing is, is like a lot of these producers, they're not in it for um, continuing the paranormal field. They're in it to make money. And it's an easy moneymaker for them. Yes, it, it it is, man. And they and they they try to do yeah, like, like you and I have talked about offset. Um, there's a predictable pattern with the former television people. They start their bitter campaign mm -hmm. trying to like just throw everybody under the bus. Then they start a YouTube <laughs> thinking that they're so famous their YouTube's gonna blow up. And in most cases, it does not. You oh, know, it blows up, but not in the way that they want it to. Right. And and then they they go on the uh the convention tours, you know, and they just milk what little bit of fame they have left till they just fizzle away. It's it's kind of sad in a way. You know, it's it's kind of sad. But it is it, it is sad because it's like, is that really all you're about? You know, is that, are you just about getting your face out there and you, when you really kind of don't know what you're talking about to begin with? Um, and you and I have had experience with these people. We're not going to throw them under the bus, but we've okay. had individuals that we've talked to that didn't know things that they should have, like things that their show revolved around. Rick and I were actually educating them on it. Yeah, and if I remember correctly, you had to go through the comments and kind of sanitize the comments because people were being a bit rough. Yeah, oh yeah, which, you know, we're used to rough. We like sure. it rough here at Shadow <laughs> Initiative. Now, you know, I, I'm not I, I'm not up here on a pedestal, guys. I, I'm not uh, um, being presumptuous or anything. I, I have a background in film and television. Mm -hmm. That's why I kind of look for things that the average person doesn't. The average person isn't going to sit there and read the fucking credits of a show. And I am the average person, but thankfully I have somebody with your experience that, you know, schools me on this kind of stuff. So this brings us to number five, As, read the credits. And, and what's beautiful now with smart TVs is you can pause it and take your time and read everything on the screen. The mm -hmm. credits tell all because they have to. By law, they have to. You will see story writers, special effects, and all those legal disclaimers that spit out the truth. It's just in most cases, nobody pays attention to the credits. Or the credits are so small and scrolling so fast, you can't read them. And this point in particular, the Writers Guild. Biggest organization in the world for writers. The Writers Guild actually recognizes the story writers for reality TV shows. You can't be recognized as a writer if it's not written. Yeah. <laughs> so you know, it's written. And, and I think it's important to separate the two kinds of paranormal shows that are on TV. When it comes to this kind of thing, you have your documentary style um uh, television shows like the ones that you have been on right with, you know, being a haunting and then you have the ones that are the you know ghost hunting shows obviously having writers um and special effects that's gonna fly with the former which is you know the documentary but when it comes to like the ghost hunting shows that claim to really be capturing real evidence of the paranormal screenwriter or script writers and um special effects 
that's not going to fly because then that's not reality at all. Exactly. So with that being said, we look at number four scripts. Scripts have been kept and released by former talent. That's right. There are actual scripts online from your favorite reality TV shows that literally walked the investigators through the entire episode from everything they were supposed to say to how they were to react to where they were supposed to go. These lists exist. And there's other lists called shot lists. I have seen, I have held these in my hand. Okay, we've got to get this shot of Steven walking into the room. This shot of Steven looking like he's examining something. None of that was authentic. That was them directing me to recreate it. That's how I put it. Recreate what I said I did. Right. And if it's scripted and there's writers for these scripts, obviously it's not real. Because if you're really doing something, I mean, it's like when, when I'm when I'm in your house, like I don't have a script writer that says, okay, Rick is going to sit in the bedroom for an hour and a half or so talking to something that may or may not actually even be there. So if you have this kind of thing going on in a show, again, like with the like with the previous um, uh, section that we talked about, it's not real. That's the truth, man. And I have sat there. I, I have. You've, you've heard the stories of, oh, the, the producers will make them say something two or three times. For That is the absolute truth. Stephen, can you reword that? But this time, can you use the word demon instead of evil? And no, no. <laughs> I, you know, I fought them tooth and nail when it came to that shit. They, they will feed you what, what they want you to say. Number three, and this one is really important. Make friends with former camera personnel. That's right. The camera crew doesn't sign such an in-depth non-disclosure form because they aren't the talent on the screen. They're mo most of them are freelance. They're just paid for the gig. Typically like, you know, when, when, when uh, a crew arrives, let's say, in your neck of the woods to record, they find local camera people. You know what I'm saying? People they can mm -hmm. hire, you know, blah, 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 blah. I have spoken with, and I'm still friends with some of them. Uh, the one from my ghost story, I'm still friends with. And I ask every one of them, I said, man, you guys go out to all these locations. You guys, you ever seen it? And they'll all say the same thing. I've never seen anything that I thought would, I would say. Now, these are the people that are filming the show that you're watching. Actually right. saying they've never seen something that they could walk away and say was paranormal. See, now, when I read that one, I found that shocking that they wouldn't make uh, camera personnel sign a non-disclosure agreement. You would think that those would be the people that they really don't want to talk. But, yeah, I, mean, I just I found that absolutely shocking. Okay, number two. Ask law enforcement. Talk to the cops. I have an interesting story about that, and I will tell that when we get to that. This is something that even you don't know. Okay, good. So that's right. Talk to the cops. Do research on a story you hear from any given episode of a ghost hunting show. Because you know they, oh, this person, it was a multifamily murder, suicide, you know, all this story that they hype up before they go in there. Okay, so you will be surprised. But you really shouldn't be. The stories are endless and real law enforcement, along with historical research tools, expose the fact that in some cases, murders never even took place. They were just yeah. making it up or basically anything that would have been deemed illegal because that information would be documented by the law. 
So right. anytime you hear these shows talking about murder and suicide and assault and, and rape, all of that is documented by the law. And guess what? You're not going to find a lick of truth to it. Yeah. I mean, you could you could go online. It's just as simple as that to find out, was this person really murdered there? And if they were really murdered there, maybe it is their ghost that actually haunts the place because it would be public access. Yes. You would have no problem whatsoever looking up that information. And that is why I tell people that historical research is the most key part of paranormal investigation um, and research because you don't want to get into a trap where you actually either come off lying or you don't know what you're talking about. And here's the interesting story that I got for you with, with this, Stephen. I don't believe I've ever actually told you this one before. So a guy that I went to high school with, he's, you know, he's a big wig. Um, I, I, I can't remember what city it is in um, Iowa, but he's, he's a big wig cop out there. Um, and while on patrol, he got, he got this call that there was a suspicious van sitting outside this house. Now, this area had, was well-known for having lots of meth labs mm-hmm. in it. And some, one of the people said that it looked like there was this weird ooze coming out of the back of this van. So they got, it was him and a bunch of other guys got together and approached this vehicle pounding on the door saying, you need to open up right now. This is, I think it was, Iowa, it may have been Iowa City, I'm not sure, but this is the Iowa Police Department. You need to open up. And when they opened up, it was actually the crew and two of the people from the show Paranormal State. <laughs> they were in the back of this van editing information that they showed to you on the show. Yep. And I'm not, I, I'm not going to say this cop's name or who I went to high school with, because I don't think that that would be fair for, for him. But, you know, it, it was like, I, I was not shocked by this, that they were sitting in the back faking evidence. Like they had all these monitors and he was like, you could see what was going on on the screen. And it's like being in law enforcement, we have to be familiar with this kind of stuff, obviously, right. because they're out there looking for the bad guy. But he never really figured out what the what the weird ooze or even if there was like an ooze coming from the back. But it's like, yeah, that was that that show in particular was really big on editing and, you know, making making things fake. Yes. Which brings us to number one. And I love this one. This this is my favorite one because there is we've talked about it before in a way on this show there's a difference in how the paranormal is viewed between the united states and the rest of the world you know where the uk i'd give anything to live there they embrace it you know they teach it there i mean there's parapsychology i mean the uk isn't they don't make it a novelty like the united states does which also means there's different laws in different countries Okay, in the United States, you can pretty much air whatever you want Mm -hmm. as long as there's the, hey, there's violence, you know, the little ratings, you know, that kind of thing. But the UK, they have a communications group called OFCOM. Okay, what is OFCOM? That's O-F-C-O-M. You guys can do your own research on this. It's the UK's communications regulator. It's kind Mm -hmm. of... Kind of like a censor, 
but for the fucking truth. Okay. Right. It, in, in other words, it, it's the, um, what, what are they, what are we calling this with the political stuff? The, the, uh, you know, you hear it all over Facebook, um, fake news you know blah 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 anyway well this this uh group makes sure that this shit doesn't happen so if you watch shows like ghost adventures paranormal lockdown ghost chasers then you can't and i'm talking about in the uk you have noticed a message which pops up before the show which states this program is for entertainment purposes only Mm-hmm. By law, the UK has to put that on the paranormal shows. We don't have that law here. Right. Okay. They're they're more about the truth overseas than we are here. The British media watchdog of com insists that all ghost hunting shows must show the disclaimer prior to the broadcast. It's intended to inform the audience that the activities and evidence presented in the show is fictional or staged. This disclaimer has been shown before show since 2005, following an Ofcom investigation of the ghost hunting show fronted by Yvette Fielding, Most Haunted. Of course, you know, there was a lot of fraud stuff to come out of that show. Ofcom mm-hmm. ruled that Most Haunted is not a legitimate investigation into the paranormal and should be treated as nothing more than entertainment. So right. over there, the same episode we watch here of, let's say, Ghost Adventurers airs overseas with a disclaimer that actually tells you the shit is fake. Whereas the United States doesn't care you are stupid and they are happily making their millions off of your stupidity. The UK has more respect for their citizens, making sure they regulate these shows and that the fabrication must be made clear to its viewers. So the same shows that air here in the United States also air worldwide, but you won't find those disclaimers on U.S. broadcasts. However, the U.K. actually cares you are being duped. Well, see, and there's a very there's a very simple reason when it comes to paranormal TV shows. Um, England invented this stuff. This is. Yep. I mean, it started with uh, the London Ghost Club in 1862. And then moved on to the Society for Psychical Research in 1883. They invented organized paranormal research and investigation. It started with them. So, of course, they take this seriously. Um, A big part of the tourism in England deals with Americans coming over there and going going to all of their um, haunted places that have been extensively investigated over the years. So yeah, they take it very seriously. Um, And I will will freely admit when it comes to ghosts and hauntings, I'm very much an Anglophile. I love English ghosts and hauntings. Um, I find it far more interesting and fascinating because the history goes back so far and it's so well documented, but yeah, I have seen this for entertainment purposes only on the English um, uh, shows that I, that I do watch or happen to catch, but yeah, you don't see that here. And it's because American television, they, I I don't want to use the term stupid, but they definitely want to keep you in the dark when it comes kind of thing. And I, I think it just I've always respected the UK. It's definitely a place I want to tour one day um, and, and to see that they've actually got like a watchdog group that prevents the bullshit that you and I are dealing with. 
you know these people you can show them look here is the proof these shows are fake and they still want to fight you tooth and nail man that's almost like a psychological disorder Mm -hmm. you know they will you just they i I don't get it I've, i've been around these people that dude you you can have the knife in one hand and the dead body below and they still don't believe you're the one that killed them right <laughs> you know what i'm saying <laughs> it's like dude you know there's there's something else that that i wanted to uh, add to this so i'm i'm not sure if i ever told you this story but several years ago it was before i got sick and lost my leg um so it was maybe about 10 years ago i actually answered a casting call for a paranormal reality tv show Mm-hmm. And they were excited about possibly having me come on board because, you know, I was an author. I knew what the fuck I'm talking about. Um, but here's what they told me. They're like, you need to fly out to L.A. And what we need you to which first off right there, you know, I'm not flying to L.A. Um, secondly, what I needed to do was I needed to appear with the other people on this show in order to see if I fit the mold, if I fit perfectly in with the rest of the group. Yeah, they wanted so to see like the first, dynamic. Yeah, exactly. So it's like, well, wait a second. Why do you need to see that kind of thing? It's like, you know, when I look back on some of the greats of of, of old, you know, like Hans Holzer or Peter Underwood, these were not guys who were known for their looks. Right, right. <laughs> you know? They they were known for knowing what they were talking about and putting it into action. So, you know, you get like these casting calls and that right there, if you answer one of these casting calls, answering a casting call should be like, okay, there's something that's uh, kind of sketchy going on here. Yeah, instead, it should be, uh, you know, they, they have a research team that researches, use the internet find people that you're trying to fit into this demographic find your author find this that or the other thing and just put together a fucking awesome team but they don't want to do that man because you've got to have the marketing side of it you know is this guy good looking enough is does this girl's ass look nice enough in jeans you know and sadly that is the truth that is the damn truth right yeah. And, uh, you know, re- recently I saw something on somebody in a, on somebody's page. Um, uh, you know, I, I mentioned Alex Matsuo a lot on this show and her, her website, the spooky stuff. Yes. And she had a thing on her page that was like, Whoa, Holy shit. Like they, she was asked to come on a show, but then I think that's what it was. And then they rejected her because they thought that she was too overweight. Mm-hmm. It's like, are, are you serious right now? Yeah. I mean, what, this, is, this is a person who does know what they're talking about, um, does, does put a lot of content out there, um, but she's not attractive enough to be on the show. Oh, I got that one. I can top that That's one. Bullshit. I can okay. top that one. Five, six years ago, I get an email from this guy in North Carolina. I'm not going to say his name because he is a producer and he does have a paranormal show. Mm-hmm. And uh, he contacts me about putting together a team um, that basically investigated the Carolinas. That was going to be the niche of this show, the haunted Carolinas. I don't know what they were going to call it, but, and uh, he was very interested in me. I mean, very interested, man. He wanted to get me on the horn. So we, we do a phone call, you know, and we're talking, he, he, man, he said he's read my books and he didn't lie. 
didn't lie because I asked specific questions. You know what I'm saying? And sure as shit, he knew the answer. Mm-hmm. And he's been to been to my website. He watched Monster Vision videos. Knew all about me. Like he probably knew more about me, except one key thing. So he's like, this sounds great, Stephen. He said, I- I'm working on putting a few other people in this, blah, blah, blah. I want to shoot a pilot, blah, blah, blah. And he said, let me ask you, man. Um, he said, because a couple of the people he had were in their early 20s, right? Mm-hmm. And I thought he was reaching out to me to be like the older, elder kind of guide figure. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like like the the leader, so to speak. Um, the veteran, he, he said, how old are you? Okay. Now, now at that time, what was I? 38, 39. I, okay. I, 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 okay. I said 39. He goes, really? I said, yeah. Why? He said, man, you look so young. And I said, yeah, you know, kind of made a joke about it that I am blessed with a young look. You know what I'm saying? I, I, I'm sorry. It's the truth. I've got these boyish looks, you know, but oh he said, man, he, he said, I, I'm trying to get people. I thought you were in your 20s. OK, so the guy wanted me for every ounce of my talent. But because I was going to be, I guess, by the time the show launched, I would have been 40. Mm-hmm. Oh, you, uh, he, uh, he didn't want no 40 year old on the show. Yeah. How, how uh, about that? Oh, it it. It happens, you know, ageism, sexism, you know, whatever it's, it, it does happen. I mean, they want the young, good looking people, not old, you know, scrappy dudes like us. That's not what they want. But yeah, I mean, it's like this, folks, all you have to do is watch these shows. And I think the most important takeaway from this is watch the damn credits. Yes. Because like you said, the credits have to tell you the truth. They're legally bound to do so. And if you see one of these ghost hunting shows where it talks about, you know, that says that they have special effects and script writers, you, you, you need to understand and know right away, this is horseshit. All and right. knowingly deceiving you. Yes. And taking your money all the way to the bank. There so you go. with that being said, Rick. Yes. What section are we hitting next? Because we're all about the segments and sections here at Shadow Initiative. Well, I definitely want to hit uh, news of the weird. Um, so we got we don't we don't have just one. We don't have just two. We got three news of the weird. Today on the Shadow Initiative Paranormal Talk. So what is news to the weird, you may ask? Well, news to the weird is any and all stories that don't exactly get the fair shake that they deserve in the mainstream media. Um, This is three of those this week. Now, the first one dealing with comes to us from CNN, but it was one of those stories that was kind of like put way over here uh, (laughs) in in, in the back rather than up front. So all I could say is I will start with this. Stephen has worms. Or at least he would if he was a medieval English monk. One of the clergy. Maybe in another life I was. Maybe you were. So medieval monks were riddled with Worms. Uh, the study finds. So this comes to us from London. 
when we think of medieval friars, we may well picture Robin Hood's jolly friar tuck. Now, Stephen, I love the mythology of Robin Hood. Always. Me too. Me too. Um, he's known for his rotund figure and love of food and drink. But it turns out some of these monks were full were full of more than just cakes and ale. According to a study released on Friday, Augustinian friars in medieval England were nearly twice as likely to suffer from intestinal parasites as other people, despite most monasteries being equipped with washing facilities, a rarity for ordinary citizens. Researchers from the University of Cambridge's Department of Archaeology excavated the remains of 19 friars from the grounds of a former Augustinian friary in Cambridge, England. By comparing soil samples taken from around the pelvises of the friars and 25 townspeople of low socioeconomic status from the same 12th to 14th century era, the researchers were able to compare the prevalence of parasites in people with vastly different lifestyles, according to the study published in the International Journal of Paleopathology. So I'm just going to kind of leave it at that, because even with those, it, it, the, the, the article goes on and on and on, but I'm just going to leave it at that. So back then, being clean wasn't exactly a high priority. People were more worried about running for their lives and avoiding warfare and disease. So, you know, cleanliness was not the next to godliness, um, as we can plainly see from these medieval monks and friars. Um, I was telling you earlier um, in the week, um, Stephen, that, you know, this isn't just something that happened a thousand years ago. Uh, across Europe. This is something that still happens to today. A woman that that uh, my wife went to uh, school with and worked with, this woman, woman was from a country in South America. And she actually asked my wife, what do you do to deworm your son? <laughs> and she was like, she didn't know what to think concerning this. She didn't think that this kind of thing still happened. But yeah, you know, people get intestinal worms from food, they get intestinal worms from the drinking water, and they need to be dewormed. And this was a serious issue back in the Dark Ages or during the medieval period. Um, we see it right here. These medieval monks weren't just crawling with worms. And as disgusting as that may sound, yeah, I mean, hey, it happens. Or it happened. Yeah, I mean, a lot of that, it was the meat that they were eating. I mean, you know, there wasn't exactly a sanitation code back then. Right. You know, and it's like I told you when we were talking about it before the show, uh, one of the coolest things I ever saw was the removal of a tapeworm. Oh, it, oh yes. It was biology class in college, 1996. Can't watch and that stuff. Yes, we were talking about tapeworms and parasites and my professor had this awesome video, okay? And it's got this guy, and he warned everybody. Of course, I'm sitting there grinning ear to ear, you know. <laughs> of course you are. You and uh, he said, "We this is pretty gross. You know, what, what this guy did was starved himself for 48 hours, okay? Because obviously a tapeworm needs, he's feeding off of what you're eating, right? Mm -hmm. Right. So he starved himself for 48 hours for two days. And to get the tapeworm out, okay, now it's going to get a little gross here, guys. He held in front of him, in his hand, 
raw hamburger meat and opened his mouth. So the smell of that raw hamburger meat would go down his throat. This motherfucking worm came out his mouth. Doctors grabbed it. Yes, grabbed it and pulled it out, man. All the girls are like gagging and shit. I was like, well, I know I'm not asking you out. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) But it was pretty wild, man. Yikes. That that's oh man. And you never really think of it. Like, you know, for example, the woman that my that Jamie went to went to went to college with, it's like you just never really think of it. Living here in the Western world in the United States, that you know, this kind of thing happens. It does. So So what do you got? You got you got two. I've got two. And for those of you who don't know, I am an avid lover of music. I'm a musician myself. You guys probably think my news feed on my iPhone is all paranormal. It is not. It is all music, movies, and a little bit of paranormal, but mostly music. And uh, for those of you who don't know who Sammy Hagar is, he's a rocking musician, man. He was solo act. He was also a singer for Van Halen. He's out there still touring with his new band. Uh, possible Van Halen uh, tribute shows. Anyways, he's also an avid lover of the paranormal, my man. (coughs) Uh, Sammy Hagar has wrote a book on it. He uh, claims to have been abducted by aliens. He claims that he spoke to, I want to say his his mother or his father or grandfather or something. He saw their ghost when he was younger. So he's very in tune with the paranormal. Well, my man, this story caught my eye and I just thought it was pretty fucking cool. Sam ha- Sammy Hagar claims that Eddie Van Halen visited him in a dream. Now, this is recent. This is like three days ago. In a dream, and they wrote a song together. Okay, mm. now this is where it gets even cooler, okay? Sammy Hagar is going to set, he's going to share songwriting credits with Eddie Van Halen on this new song. After the vocalist claimed the late electric guitar legend came to him in a dream and helped him write it. Now, this this is pretty neat. Okay. Okay. Because clearly nobody can play like Eddie Van Halen. You know, Sammy Hagar can't play like Eddie Van Halen. So he got these notes from somewhere. Okay. Mm -hmm. So this is quoting Mr. Hagar. About two months ago, I had this dream and Eddie came. I'm glad this continues. Yeah, thank God. <laughs> we, we were in a room like this with a bunch of people around. It was just like he had been gone, but not like he was dead gone. He, he was just gone. He was out of my life. And we hadn't seen each other for quite some time. He's going, man, let's write some music. And I said, yeah, fuck it, man. Here, let's go. You know, and then I said, Eddie, show me your newest shit. Because every time I'd see Eddie, that's what I'd always say to him. So in the dream, I say, show me your newest shit, man. And he said, oh, check this out. And Eddie did this harmonic thing and he slid up the chord like slide guitar. And we wrote a song with that lick in my dream. He said, I remembered it. I got up in the morning and I wrote the fucking song. It's called Thank You. I used the fucking lick that he showed me in my dream. He said, but I really don't know what to say lyrically. He said, I've got goosebumps head to toe talking about it. So I decided to make the lyrics about the experience of Eddie coming to me in this dream Mm -hmm. as a ghost and and writing this song. So now that's going to be an Eddie influenced song to the point 
that he's giving um, co-writing credits to Eddie Van, the Eddie Van Halen estate. And uh, he says, I'm going to give him credit and then maybe we'll donate the money to charity. He said, I feel so embarrassed about it because everybody's going to say, oh, look, Sammy trying to capitalize on the death of Eddie Van Halen. He says, no, I'm not. You don't understand. This was a real fucking dream. It was a real visit from Eddie Van Halen. And I told you exactly what happened. That is that that that's wild. stuff. Yeah, it's different. Yeah, you know, I remember I remember seeing um, Eddie Van Halen. It was on an episode, not Eddie Van Halen, I'm sorry, Sammy Hagar on an episode of uh, Celebrity Paranormal, I think it was called. And it told, the, you know, his story about his, he's, he's had many uh, visitations from ghosts as well as, um, you know, extraterrestrials and stuff like that. He is a firm believer in the supernatural and the paranormal. Um, interesting story. This is another one I never told you. So when I was a co-host of uh, Paranormal Underground Radio years ago, I tried getting Sammy Hagar on the show. I was like, this is going to be, a, you know, he loves talking about this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Maybe he would be okay with this. So, and I wish I still had the email, but this is going back like 12 or 14 years. And um, so I sent an email and I received an email back from a spokesperson or representative or whatever in the email. And I don't remember it word for word, but the guy called me a fucking weirdo, told me that there is no fucking way. And he actually used fucking. There is no fucking way Sammy Hagar is going to come on your show because he doesn't really believe this bullshit. Wow. I was like, I have never been so insulted in my entire life. I didn't even know how to come back with this kind of thing. You know, I didn't, I I'd never even sent a thank you for at least getting back to me, which is something that I would typically do. So it's like, does he really believe in this stuff? Or was this just some asshole that was answering his mail? I don't know, but that's, it, w- it was very strange. Yeah. I've never had a bad experience with a publicist. I, uh, the closest I got was to Kevin Smith. I was trying to get him on one of my shows. Mm -hmm. to talk about his ghost stories and his publicist actually emailed me back within like a few days. And, and she said, you know, she's real polite. She's like, Steven, I really appreciate um, you reaching out. You know, Kevin is so busy nowadays, but, but she said, I'm going to put your email in a folder. And if he ever gets around to it, he'll contact you. I mean, she was blatant to the point, uh, but she was polite about it, you know? Wait, are we talking Kevin Smith, the clerks and yeah, yeah, Smith? yeah. I didn't know he was a believer in this kind of stuff. Yep, sure is. Interesting. So, yeah, I mean, um, oh, you have a third one. Yes. Okay. Yes, the, let's the, do it. The third and final entry into news of the weird this week. It's it's a sad one. It is sad, but it definitely falls into the category of Rick and Steven. Mm hmm. After dying from a stomach bug, a three-year-old girl woke up at her own funeral. Whoa. Now, before I continue this story, I do want to say that both Rick and I give our condolences um, to the Mendoza family. Um, Absolutely. You know, we're not using this to exploit or anything. We're just sharing this extraordinarily tragic story. But a three-year-old girl from Mexico named Camilia Roxana Martinez Mendoza, (laughs) I apologize, (laughs) was found alive in her own coffin after being ruled dead of a stomach bug and dehydration. 
Camelia was confirmed to be breathing when a funeral attendee spotted condensation. The the coffin, uh, there's pictures, the, the coffin had a glass cover on it. So mm-hmm. I, I guess that's how they do it traditionally. I'm not sure. But there was, and you could see the fog and condensation from her breathing. Some, somebody saw this. So soon after, uh, a member of Camelia's family noticed her eyes were moving. So, of course, they opened it up and the girl was still alive. Okay. That is extraordinary. Yes. Camelia's mother, Mary Jane Mendoza, first took her daughter to the family's pediatrician on August 17th. This is very recent. After Camelia had experienced severe stomach pain and vomiting, as well as a fever. The girl was rushed to the hospital where after 10 minutes with an IV, doctors convinced the mother to let her daughter go peacefully. Mm-hmm. Camelia was officially pronounced dead a few hours later and was transferred to the funeral home the next day where she, during the wake, she was discovered to still be alive. Now, to finish this story, they obviously took her out of the coffin, took her back to the hospital. A few hours later, she did die for she real. Die. Yeah. So our, our condolences go out to that family. What a very sad story. Um, The mother, she is uh, obviously she's on a mission now. She says she doesn't want money from this. She doesn't want fame from this. She just wants those doctors replaced. She lost Um, her daughter twice. That's not unreasonable. You know, that is absolutely awful, but falls in the category of fucking weird, man. Yeah. You know, and, and, and the story like that really reminds me of that back in the Victorian era and, and the Edwardian era, people were terrified of being buried alive so much so that they would, you know, put like strings that would ring bells. And you mm-hmm. could still in England and in parts of Europe, you can still you could still see those graves where there's like a bell with, you know, of course, the string is long gone because, you know, almost two centuries ago. But there's like a bell on a um on a hook just over the grave and that was because people thought hey if i ring this bell they're going to be able to you know find me still alive in the grave um but of course i don't think there are any real documented cases of a person being buried alive back then documented i don't know but this story this story is extraordinary that's all i can say and it's extraordinarily sad yeah I, i i saw that and i was like you know what we got a well. First, I saw the Sammy Hagar story. Then I saw that. I was like, "God damn!" It's like we, we we've got a mess of weird today. Yeah, we really do. See, yeah these these are three great stories. But you know, I think that moving right in from this, we should check out Creature of the Week, man. Yes, this is one of my favorites, absolute favorite. I remember hearing it the first time when I was maybe nine or ten years old. And of course, I am speaking of the Dover Demon. Yes. Definitely one of my favorite cryptids of all time. So this is one of the ones that a lot of that sort of have, you know, fallen by the wayside when you consider the other cryptids that we speak of, the ones that could possibly still exist. Like last week, we talked about the um, the thylacine or mm-hmm. the Tasmanian tiger. But this is one that's really interesting. So this occurred back in 
April of 1977, over a two-day period, several teenagers in the suburb of Dover, Massachusetts, claimed that they were seeing a large-eyed creature with tendril-like fingers and glowing eyes on top of a broken stone wall on a farm street in Dover, Massachusetts. The first person who saw it was a young man. He was a 15-year-old, John Baxter, uh, reported seeing the creature on Miller Hill Road that same evening. And another 15-year-old named Abby Bramham claimed to see the same creature the following night on Springdale Avenue. The, te- the, the teenagers all drew sketches of the alleged creature. And I, you know, I, I know, Stephen, that you can probably throw up a picture oh, yeah. of, this, of this, uh, this creature that they saw. And it was in the Boston Globe, which is you know, their, their biggest main newspaper in that area. Um, it talked about you know, the sightings and plotted out a map and laid in a straight line of over two miles where, where the original sighting was and then the second sighting was. So a lot of people think that this is a hoax. And sure, it could be a hoax, but there are corrob- corroborating, I can never say the print accounts that say that word correctly, corroborating witnesses that really didn't know each other very well and were able to say, this is what we saw. So I don't believe as far as the, as the Dover demon is concerned that it was a hoax, but I will say this, I do believe that it was a misidentification. And I really, I, I do believe that it was a misidentification. And what I think what people were seeing was, I think that people were seeing an escaped chimpanzee. That's kind of what I always thought that they were seeing. That somebody may have had a, um, a pet chimpanzee mm-hmm. that somehow got loose or one got loose from a zoo and they just weren't willing to a- admit that, we had a chimpanzee that escaped because I'd be like, oh my God, there's a dangerous wild animal on the loose. But I really honestly do believe that this is what these people, these kids were seeing. I think that it was a misidentification on a dark, lonely road. And they were like, this is what we think we see, what they were actually seeing. Now, I know that you, you're, usually, you're usually the one that comes down on, you know, that this is a misidentification or this animal can't exist. So I just want to say this, although it's a really interesting creature of the week and one that I have loved ever since I was a kid, I do believe that it's a misidentification. Yeah, there's, there's, not, a lot of, there, there's not a lot of information out there to really back it up. You know, mm-hmm. if you guys do a Google search on the Dover Demon, um, it's the same pictures over and over again, sketches that that infamous uh, trail cam picture that I think every paranormal group has plastered all over their Facebook page a million times over. Uh, sure. Look, you know, it's fake. But anyway, you know, I, when I read about the Dover Demon and look at the descriptions and sketches, I don't think demon at all. I don't even think uh earthly creature it looks extraterrestrial to me yeah so i wouldn't rule out because i'm a firm believer in that i i would not rule out that they were actually seeing something alien yeah well, it's, if it's it awesome. were something if it were something but yeah then again that could also fall into the misidentification um but yeah that, that's what i think was going on i think that they were seeing something that they weren't familiar with and, um, you know, they were like, oh, my God, it's it's a demon or it's something extraterrestrial. 
when I really do believe that it may have been like uh, normal, earthy, mundane animal of some sort. Yeah, I agree. So with that being said, Rick, you are starting today a special you're taking us on a special journey. I am, you know, and I, I decided to do this with uh, Ghost Watch because Ghost Watch is actually based on um, the work of Peter Underwood, who is, who was a uh, a gentleman ghost hunter, if there ever was one, and a great writer. And a lot of what I do is, you know, how I work and how I write is inspired and based upon him. And Ghost Watch is definitely one of those. So I wrote this um, series, five-part series for Spooky Isles called Trailing Peter Underwood. And um, I'm going to share those with you guys here and, and Ghost Watch on um, our show, The Shadow Initiative, Paranormal Talk, and TV. So I'm Rick Hale, and this is Ghost Watch. <laughs> Churches are often thought of as places of tranquility and safety. The faithful believe these buildings are sanctified by God for the dual purposes of worship and fellowship with fellow believers. Nevertheless, a small handful of these houses of the holy are anything but. And Peter Underwood investigated one of those churches and vicarage where something other than God may have lurked. One morning, while perusing through the articles of two newspapers, Peter Underwood came across two articles detailing a story that was both curious and frightening. According to the articles in the Daily Mail and Daily Express, the vicar and parishioners of a church in Eaton believed their church was under attack by dark, diabolical forces, forces that seemed determined to destroy the modest little church they loved so much. They claimed the church, St. John the Evangelist of Eden, was built over a spot where shadowy cultists worshipped the devil and engaged in rituals. Even the unspeakable act of human sacrifice to, to appease their primordial gods. Vicar Christopher Johnson and his wife Annie went on record that an exorcism was performed in the church. And despite their best efforts to expel the evil, the demonic entities remained to carry on their campaign of terror. Annie herself had heard the shrieks of girls in anguish on more than one occasion. Windows were smashed, the vicar's vestments had been disturbed, and the altar had been desecrated, with the candles arranged in some kind of sinister ritual. The vicar's wife, ever a woman of strong faith, was quoted as saying, the devil has won this one, but it's not over yet courageous words that came from a belief in something greater than her fear. Without delay, the ghost hunter sent the vicar a letter inquiring if he could come to the vicarage and look into these claims for himself. Vicar Johnston agreed and informed Peter Underwood that the house was far more haunted than the church. A few days later, Peter and his wife traveled to Eaton to look into the bizarre claims of evil spirits. When the Underwoods arrived, the Johnsons regaled them with unnerving stories of demons and failed exorcisms that would chill even the most courageous to the bone. Vicar Johnson was convinced his church and parishioners were under siege by the forces of hell. When they entered the church, Peter sensed what he called atmosphere, even though he himself wasn't psychic. 
he did feel that something unnatural lurked in the church. But what that something was, he couldn't ascertain just yet. An investigation would have to be done. After the walkthrough, Peter asked if he could return with his colleagues from the Ghost Club. Vicar Johnson was all too happy to allow these learned men and women into his vicarage to try and figure out what was haunting it, and hopefully find out what it wanted. While the Ghost Club members conducted their investigation, mysterious running footsteps could be heard, as well as the rattling of an old letterbox. It was determined that the vicarage wasn't being haunted by anything inhuman, but rather very much human. It would seem that in the 19th century, the vicarage was run by a vicar who was known to be strict and overly stern with his three daughters. Although the three girls had blossomed into lovely young women, the vicar wouldn't allow them to have any suitors, and they weren't allowed to ever leave their rooms. The sound of the letterbox, followed by the sound of running footsteps, were from young men clandestinely dropping messages in the post, and then running away so as not to run afoul of the victor. vicar. A visiting exorcist claimed that the girls' spirits were tied to their rooms, and the phantom forms seen in the rooms were the girls. And as for the shrieking Annie heard, those were the three girls screaming and sobbing over the cruelty of their father. The spirit of the cruel vicar was present as well and had taken possession of Vicar Johnson on several occasions, causing him to say and do things that completely went against his nature. Annie further believes the ghostly vicar attempted to strangle her one night as she slept. When she awakened, she could see no one but felt two strong hands around her neck. During a seance, another entity that had nothing to do with the vicar and his daughters revealed itself. The entity claimed it was responsible for the death of a child and buried the child's body in a garden by a bush. Although a body was never found, Annie Johnson did remark that on more than one occasion, she was overcome by a deep sadness in the garden. When the investigation and seance was completed, Peter Underwood informed the vicar that whatever malevolent force was haunting the vicarage was laid to rest and would trouble him no more. Years later, in the early 1990s, after years of vandalism, the vicarage was sold to a local cottage and turned into flats. Whatever dark paranormal forces that plagued the church were gone and never troubled the students that resided there. I'm Rick Hale, and this was Ghostwatch. Excellent. Excellent. So, yeah, this was definitely one of the rare cases that uh, Peter Underwood um, investigated where he thought that maybe just maybe something inhuman, even demonic was involved in the haunting. And thankfully through proper investigation, through proper historical research and the use of a psychic medium that he trusted, he came to the conclusion that there was nothing inhuman, but very much human haunting this vicarage. And what happens next, ladies and gentlemen, you'll have to tune into the next episode to find out. <laughs> Why is my camera always going out of focus? I need to get a different camera, I think. Yeah. Because yeah, I know, just kinda, I know it people, does do that. People want to see me in this crisp HD clarity. Mm, they sure do. So yeah, that was um and that was this week's um 
Ghostwatch, trailing Peter Underwood. And we'll take a look at another one of his uh, cases next week. And if you're interested, you can find and read these at spookyisles.com. Um, not only from writers such as myself, but other great writers that uh, write for this um, great website. And we've had David Saunderson on. He is the owner, mm -hmm. operator, and editor of uh, Spooky Isles. He was a guest on our show last year sometime. Um, yeah, so uh, come back next week and you know, learn more about Peter Underwood and his adventures with the unknown. And speaking of dot-coms and things that may be unknown, ShadowInitiativeTV.com is your hub. That is your station where you can find everything we do. ShadowInitiativeTV.com. You can watch the video version of our podcast or just listen to the podcast, see what's going on, all kinds of neat things. Um, we also have Facebook.com slash Welcome to the Initiative. Rick is very active on that every day, um, posting all kinds of interesting paranormal goodness. Now, Rick, I wanted to ask you, you know, before we wrap this shenanigan up, um, okay. I'm thinking about a future show, okay. and I know this may scare you. A little bit. Bringing my wife on the show. Okay. She has been a paranormal investigator for a very long time. Okay. And is a retired nurse. Okay. And she has watched more people die than probably somebody in the military. Sure. You know, and she's had experiences, many experiences. She used to take, she, well, she didn't used to take, she always had a, a uh, digital audio recorder with her at work. She mm -hmm. would leave it record. You know, when she was in rooms with people kind of passing, uh, she's got some interesting stories to tell. And I know you kind of worked in a similar atmosphere at I some did. point. And I think that would be some great discussion. Kind of like we, we hear all these stories. Well, you got to think who's around death the most, the military, you know, sure. and medical professionals. Correct. And they've got some ghost stories to tell, man. What do you think? I think that that is a fantastic idea. I would love to meet the woman that puts up with your shit. <laughs> hey, wait a minute. Hey, what? Yeah, no, I think that that's a great show. <laughs> but, you know, I, I just I just want to clarify with our listeners. I was not in the medical field. I was in the social services field uh, before I got sick and lost my leg. And um, the building that I worked in, wow, it was very much haunted. Um, and in fact shortly before I left, I was actually asked by the president of the organization to investigate the campus, which was, which turned out to be a very cool investigation. But yeah, the building that I worked in, very haunted. And I wasn't the only person to experience things in that building. But yeah, I think that that would be a great idea. Cool. Awesome. Well, with that being said, guys, thank you for joining us again. Uh, listen to us wherever you want, whatever app you use, whether it be Apple Music, iTunes, Amazon Music, Spotify, Stitcher, whatever. We are out there everywhere, man. So with that being said, we are going to, well, we're going to once again do something that, that as, as Rick always says, we're, we're going to make like a hoe and take the money and go. No, I never say that. <laughs> Ricky, why don't you ever own up to any of this, man? <laughs> I can't own up to that. I never said that. But yo, go ahead. No, that was it. Attack that hoe. That was <laughs>
<laughs> that was it, my man. We are out of here. Have a good week.